0: Welcome to the Fabulous 413, I'm Khalees Smith.
1: And I'm Monty Belmonti. Later in the show, word nerd Emily Brewster from Merriam-Webster on how informal the English language has gotten as of late and why that's not a bad thing.
0: And Saturday, in addition to a whole bunch of other things, is free comic book day. In Homage to Nerdwatch, we'll chat with Christian WZ Reader about how the program has evolved and how they are doing new and innovative things with all that free nerdery. But first...
1: This Saturday, May sixth, at Bombix in Florence, is the Trans Health birthday benefit. And joining us from Trans Health is CEO Dallas Dukar and Development Director M Ayers from Trans Health. Full disclosure: I've known M for like a long time. We've worked in many circumstances on many different things together. <coughs> We've been in plays together. We worked at the Shea together. Now that's all out of the way, okay? <laughs> Trans Health is doing some remarkable things here locally, Dallas. CEO. Tell us about what trans health is and what it's been doing over these last two years.
2: Sure. TransHealth is an independent, comprehensive, gender-affirming health care center. So we employ over 40 individuals now. We're two years old, so that's huge for a nonprofit. We serve over 2,000 patients. We do primary care for kids and adults, and we also do psychiatric care, mental health care, and then also psychotherapeutic care too. Uh, so therapy for kids and adults. And along with that, You know, I was just testifying at Beacon Hill yesterday in front of the legislature. We do advocacy on Capitol Hill and Beacon Hill. We also do education, too, and bring in nursing students, medical students, residents. And then we also do research with a national research advisory board, along with our community as the core basis of what we do, with a clothing closet, with a place to drop in, just chill out, be able to you know use our Nintendo Wii, or engage in support groups with over 250 other queer and trans folks in those two From other states too, in states where this care would otherwise be a felony, mm-hmm. right? So what we're doing should not be radical. It is radical. We're the first of our kind. We are the trans community caring for ourselves, And this upcoming anniversary is really a testament to that.
0: No wonder you need 40 people. That's a lot. That's a lot (laughs) for one organization to do. (laughs) Black, queer, women, I understand doing it for yourselves. But um, what are some of your partners? Because it really does take a village. And I know you're, you're extended through a lot of different avenues. But what
2: are some of the organizations that are helping you do this? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the organizations have come out of the woodwork. I have just like cards around my office of people <laughs> nationally who are like, we're in your camp, we're in your corner. Um, you know, there's folks like Common Media or or people like, you know, Upshift Communications or, or just like other different sponsors that are in our corner. But then also folks that we're partnering with directly, like New North Citizens Council in Springfield, for example, that we're exp- Expanding actually you know community health work with in conjunction with the Department of Public Health uh, and HHS in Massachusetts too. We have folks um, in government too like Representative Lindsey Sabadosa or Senator uh, Comerford as well who have been avid supporters of us Um, and then we also have people like translate gender like local groups for example that have been doing this work for a very long time or you know the Venture Out project for example that leads you know outdoor backpacking groups for example and builds community so many national collaborations even that with the white house too um, even with a governor as well and we've had great you know i was on the transition team with the attorney general but then also very very homegrown community spaces too like those right there in florence
0: so you're a nurse was this the direction that you saw your practicing of that nursing when you were studying
2: yeah you know i've i've always seen nursing particularly geared towards caring for the whole person, right? and person-centered care. That's something that nursing talks about a lot. And so that is a philosophy that I've always led with. Prior to being a nurse, I was a philosophy major uh, and a bioethicist as well. So I thought a lot. And then I also wanted to really bring that thinking into action. And that was through nursing and through also being an EMT on the streets too. I mean, I think I have always thought that just being any type of clinician, you have a duty, not only to advocate for your patient at the bedside, but advocate for your patient at the state house, advocate for your patient by actually constructing new systems, don't settle for just this is how it is, but make something different. You know, if they don't have a seat for you at the table, you bring your own chair.
1: We're speaking with Dallas Dukar, the CEO of Trans Health, which is celebrating its second anniversary this weekend at Bombex in Florence, as well as M. Ayers, who is the development director for Trans Health. And you mentioned, Dallas, that this is a first of its kind. Is it a first of its kind because it's trans led? Is it first of its kind in Massachusetts? Is it first of its kind in the country? Tell us a little bit more about how it's a first of its kind. Yeah, for
2: so long, the trans community has had to care for itself because literally, no one else wanted to care. It's only very recently that we've even been able to see things like hormones, for example, be accessible off of the black market. More recently, in the past maybe 10 years, we've seen academic medical institutions start to create their own trans health clinics or federally qualified health centers start to also have trans-oriented clinics as well. But there is no other organization, to my knowledge, in the world that is trans-led and that devotes 100% of its budget to providing care for the trans and gender diverse community. That is really unique. You know, when you look at a hospital, when you look at a health center, if there's a budgetary shortfall, some of that budget's going to not go away from the oncology center or the surgical center. It's going to go away from the trans center, right? Or some of the other small centers. But when all of your financial resources are dedicated to one movement, to one mission, to one vision, that sends a different message. And you know, a large majority of our staff identifies as trans or gender diverse. Almost all of our staff identifies as LGBTQ and we're loud and proud about that. And that means that we can be a beacon of hope for so many, you know, that people can know that they're gonna come here and they're gonna be able to see themselves reflected in their care provider. And that sends us such an important message right now when there's an unprecedented attack nationwide against trans rights.
1: There's a trans legislation tracker that I was looking at, 533 bills in 49 states that are considered anti-trans, 54 have passed, 382 are active, Uh, 97 of those have failed. And we had on the organizers of this forthcoming Hampshire Pride this Saturday, in Northampton, and all three of them who came on yesterday came to this area because they felt like they could be a better, their their true selves Mm -hmm. here in this area. I was on the trans health website. It seems intentionally vague as to where you are located, except for in Western Mass. So I'm, I'm assuming that may be because there's a threat, there's a danger, even in this area where we live now. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I am
2: the only person that's on that website. There's a reason why I'm the person that's talking right now, right? You know, I have also received hate mail for just existing as a human being, mm-hmm. right? And <laughs> it, it it's, should not be radical to just be yourself. But unfortunately in this time, speaking up and being yourself can be. We are grateful to the the Governor and to um, also our federal branch too to have received grants that really support uh, nonprofit security specifically, which have allowed us to make substantial investments in security because we want to take proactive measures. We have not listed our location because we want to take proactive measures. We know that there are other organizations that are geared towards helping trans people in Northampton that have been targeted as early as a couple weeks ago by right-wing groups and they've been doxxed and they've been you know sent violent threats so this is real right this is very very real and yet change doesn't come about without actually stepping up and making the change right the change happens because we have to make that change today so that this doesn't have to be radical because at the end of the day what we're saying is that people deserve the right to have the freedom to choose their own health care, the liberty to make their own health care choices, and to pursue their own happiness. Those are core American values. Who disagrees with that?
1: Speaking with Dallas Dukar, the CEO of Trans Health, located here in Western Mass and M. Ayers, the Development Director for Trans Health. It's a hot button issue across the country and where it seems to be the hottest is in regards to youth. Youth sports and ideas behind uh, hormone therapy and surgery, perhaps for younger folks. Mm -hmm. Even people that I know that are very progressive minded that live here in the valley that have people that are trying to figure out who they are and and their children are maybe leading the way to say, I would like to to start taking some hormone therapy. I would like to consider surgery. It can be really hard Mm -hmm. as a parent. You know, who may be like, I'm not even going to let you have inorganic strawberries to say, like, now you can have, you're going to take these hormones. What do you say to a parent who comes in with a kid who is wrestling with these issues about how to go on this journey with them? First, I'd say, has any parent...
0: Trust your kid. (laughs) (laughs) You say, trust your kid.
1: Has any parent tried
2: to get their kid to eat broccoli, right? You can't force a kid to do anything. We're not forcing kids to do anything. Our agenda is simple. It is to have parents and their kids have a better chance to know each other and have a conversation. The fact of the matter is, is that every single medical association, healthcare association, clinical association says that this is science-based medicine. And so first off, let's trust the experts. But then also have a conversation with your kid, right? We're not going to ever say that you need to do anything except have a conversation with your child. And we at TransHealth intentionally extend our appointment times, especially in pediatrics, to give time for kids and adults, their parents or their guardians or whomever, to have those meaningful conversations. Because isn't that what every parent wants, is a chance to better know their child? So let's start there. You know, The fact of the matter is, no kids are having surgeries. Also at Trans Health, we don't do surgeries, right? What we do is we just create a space for people to have conversation because we know that youth over time thrive in those conditions. Not just trans youth. Every kid thrives when they're seen and heard. And the attack on trans kids needs to be called out for what it is. It's an attack on kids. Kids need people in their corner, and that's where we are.
1: Another big hot button issue in a lot of these bills have to do with trans youth sports, or trans sports, apart from the youth level. We had Congressman McGovern on a couple weeks ago talking about this issue. He says he has not heard any of his constituents raise this as an issue. Are you hearing this as an issue, as somebody who is at the epicenter locally at least, in in regards to trans issues. Are there concerns about sports, or is this really just a red herring or, I guess, fresh... One of
0: many, one (laughs) of many red herrings. Or just
1: fresh meat to, you know, to throw to a constituency to try to get them riled up about an issue. So I want to give a shout out to
2: Congressman McGovern. I was at his office on that day, actually, in D.C., and we were talking about this very issue. And he's been very vocal about this, so... Thank you, Congressman McGovern. He'll be on the show tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Stay tuned. I will also say that I have a a love-hate relationship with this issue because polling shows that this issue is going to backfire on the Republicans and on the GOP. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that one in four Americans actually say that they know a trans person. So trans people are a really good boogeyman, essentially, for the right wing to say, you don't know what this is, so we're gonna conjure up an idea of something and then make you afraid of it, right? It's the same thing they've done with immigration. It's the same thing they've done with imaginary concepts like late-term abortion, for example. And it's just trying to construct imaginary worlds to fight against that don't exist. At the end of the day, uh, when we look at trans kids in sports, I don't think people really think about it that much. It's not a dinner table conversation. Why waste time and debate on it? In, in Utah, there was a law that was working to ban trans, trans youth participation in sports. There were four registered trans folks in high school sports in Utah, in the state of Utah, four, when this law passed. One of them was a trans woman, which this law was really targeting, right? One, this law was deemed unconstitutional. There was one Republican that spoke out about this who said, this is government interference. This is the government getting involved in everyday life. And I think he was right. You know, the government has no role in saying who should be playing sports or not playing sports on according to your gender identity. Like, that's just absurd. It's, and it's unconstitutional. And it's a direct attack on a minority group. And it's specifically geared to say everyone gets rights except this small group of people. And we have to fight back against that. Coming up, we'll hear the ways Trans Health of Western
0: Mass wants to transform the pharmaceutical industry locally and about how they are celebrating their two-year anniversary this weekend.
1: And later in the show, Emily Brewster from Merriam-Webster and Christian Reeder from Comics and More in East Hampton. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM.
2: When I tell people the story of trans health, especially non-trans folks, they say, I want health care like that. I want a 30-minute or hour-long appointment. <laughs> I want, you know, a place where I can go party oh, no, and also a doctor that
0: believes me when I tell them, tell them something is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right?
2: And I believe that really—I really do believe that trans health, with the support that we have, can show America what health care can actually look like that this really can, doesn't need
1: to just be for the trans community. We can take this model and we can apply it anywhere. Speaking with Dallas Ducar, the CEO of trans Health, based here in Western Mass, celebrating two years this Saturday at Bombix in Florence. M Ayres, who is the development director for Trans Health, You've been excited about what's going to be happening this Saturday in Florence for a long time now. Tell us what, what's happening.
3: Well, I am thrilled to share that we are indeed sold out for this event. Uh-huh. Uh, woo! <laughs> um, we'll be packed to the gills at Bombek <laughs> Center for Arts and Equity, um, and we will be featuring world-renowned performance artist, poet, activist, word and world-bender extraordinaire, Alok, who will be our featured artist. And alongside Alok, we will also be featuring uh, the voice of the first Youth uh, Poet Laureate, Um, Rio, they will be uh, sharing an original piece and then will also be featuring two other uh, youth trans poets from Amherst Regional High School, which is really exciting. And it's just an opportunity for the community to come together to celebrate. I believe um, that in this time, coming together is a true act of resistance Coming together in joy, coming together um, and and just celebrating not only the great success of trans health over the past two years, but what we can do and accomplish when we come together and we don't submit ourselves to the isolationism that is truly the thing that 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 is kind of like tearing us down as a country. So when we come together, that is the act of resistance I'm here for and I'm here to support. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> we can't tell.
2: I just want to add to that, that, that is a part of our core mission. The Surgeon General two days ago put out an op-ed that said that the loneliness epidemic is tearing our country apart. And we know that loneliness contributes to really, really, you know, radical view, fringe viewpoints that can really tear our country apart too, that are often and conspiratorial It right?
0: also in a very real way shortens lifespans yes. yeah and that was the warning that they released yeah. like yeah. just in general yeah. like across yeah. the board and regardless of like who you identify with where you live like
2: what if like loneliness will kill you yeah mm. yeah so i think people look to some of our events and be like why is trans health throwing another event right why like not? why is it health
3: well, and, and because i mean community is health Like when we can create a joyful, resilient, celebratory, affirming community space, we are like we're creating health. That's something that really excites me about the mission of trans health is that we're really thinking beyond a clinical setting. We're thinking, what is health in a holistic capacity? And part of that is community health
0: one thing that I think is really beautiful about it is like how you get to like centralize it you don't have to go to one place for like for your mental health care you don't have to go to another like entirely across town or across state or like out of state to get like your your other cares like everything is really centralized in a way that I think Mm -hmm. speaks to like you making it into a model what are you what else are you doing in the community It's, it's it's your director of development you're clearly developing a community what other events outside of the thing that's happening on Saturday are you looking forward to bringing to to us.
3: <laughs> well, We are thrilled to announce the launch of our online pharmacy, and I'm going to let Dallas speak a little bit more about that. But what I can share is um, on Friday, May 5th, um, we're going to be hosting a celebration and uh, pharmacy launch party at Marigold Theater in East Hampton, which will be free to the community. And at that event, we'll be featuring um, the amazing musicianship of uh, trans musician Kenzie, who's well-known in the TikTok universe for her fierce advocacy. And just and her, and her glowing artistry, and then we'll also be featuring local musician Call Me B, amazing non-binary musician um, based here in the valley, um, and then we'll be culminating the evening with uh, Brooklyn-based uh, queer DJ DJ Silla, which will be wonderful. Again, queers take any opportunity we can to party. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be um, a big weekend for that it, in yes, Hampshire County. I know, right? <laughs> um, Dallas, if you don't mind jumping in and sharing a little bit about this pharmacy program which you've kind of been at the helm of. Mm-hmm.
2: And before I launch into that, I just you know wanted to mention some of the many things that we have been doing, which is a testament to all of our folks. We've done pride trivia, we've done zine workshops, trans rights readathons, we have an upcoming COVID vaccine clinic, trans joy photo shoots, social name and change clinics, poetry workshops, Drama workshops, uh, yoga and meditation classes, workout classes. I mean, we are trying to extend the boundaries on what healthcare looks like. It should not be defined by insurers, plain and simple. As for our pharmacy, though, pharmacy is a world that still is a little defined by insurers, but we want to make it easier for folks, right? So we have partnered with a large number of local independent pharmacies and then also uh, national pharmacies, too. So that might be pharmacies like Accredo, CVS, Walgreens, but then also you know, local pharmacies like here in Springfield, Springfield Community Pharmacy, for example, and essentially then be able to work some business magic. And in general, we have created a a network of pharmacies that will allow reduced cost for the trans and gender diverse community, which is huge. So say that your insurance doesn't really cover your your hormones, right? We can help cover that.
1: Dallas Ducar, the CEO of Trans Health, and Emma Ayers, the Development Director for Trans Health, celebrating two years this weekend and with more exciting things happening in the future. Find out more about the work that they're up to at transhealth.org. Thank you both so much for coming in.
3: Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. This was a pleasure. I was
1: up next, word nerd Emily Brewster on how the English language isn't working like it used to. You just ended your sentence with a preposition. And on
0: the way, Christian reader from Comics and More at East Hampton
1: on the 21st anniversary of Free Comic Book Day. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM.
4: Talk about the
0: the introduction of Ima into my general written, like in conversation, which I love. It's my favorite contraction. I use it all the time.
4: Oh, for I'm going to. Yeah.
0: Right? I'm a. Yeah. So I Yeah. I apostrophe MMA. Right. Yeah. I-M-M-A. yeah you, I Yeah, mi- Yeah. I mixed going... martial arts. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. But
1: I think you don't.
0: <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little
1: bit. I don't get in the ring. <laughs> We're here in the front conference room of Merriam-Webster Dictionary in Springfield overlooking Springfield Technical Community College campus. Right around the corner from my house. Well, I'm not going to out where you live, but you can totally do that if you want. And Emily Brewster, you're going to kind of interview us about words.
4: Yeah, I am. I am curious about your relationship with words because you talk to people for a living. I just write about words for a living. I don't actually talk to people for a living. Mm
1: Do you want to talk about your relationship to words first, Khalees, or shall I? I like language a lot.
0: Like, a lot, a lot. I like languages a lot, so I learn a lot. <laughs> I learn as many as I can. But I read really early, so, like, I've always been fascinated by language. And I still read a lot. I feel like how I talk on the radio is is mostly me. There is some code switching that happens, but that's just going to happen. Like, I'm a queer black woman. Like, I talk in different ways in different scenarios. So, like, how I talk on the radio is more of, like, the broad how I talk.
4: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's got to be true for anybody who talks professionally. They will not speak in the same way to their close friends the way that they do when they're speaking on the radio. When did you start talking professionally?
0: Probably when you hired me for the river.
4: <laughs> that
1: was me, Machi.
4: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not Emily yeah. really yet. Yeah. <laughs> and that
4: wasn't that long ago.
0: No, like seven-ish. It would be eight years if I would stayed. Yeah, so for the most part, like, this is actually how I speak. And I write like this, too. Actually, like, Sam in our news office has commented that, like, when I write, the copy for our podcast, it sounds like me talking because that's just how I write. <laughs> yeah.
4: I think that's that's more doable now in this modern era than it used to be. For sure. What about you, Monty? Like, when did you first speak on the radio or speak to a large audience? What was the context?
1: I was an intern at a radio station, and I was impersonating Al Gore off the air. So what they actually liked what I was doing off the air and brought it on the air. So that kind of set me on a course where I knew that informal language and speaking normally, as I like to call it, had some traction. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of been my thing all along. I might enunciate a little bit better when I know I'm on the radio because I know that's it's hard, harder for people to hear than if we're just having like a little conversation across the table here in the front conference room at Merriam-Webster. If I enunciate a little bit more, that's basically the only difference. There are people that are like, you sound just like your radio voice. And I'm like, I don't have a radio voice. I yeah. just have a voice and I use it and I tweak it a tiny bit. I always tell people like I'm in I'm a slightly amplified version of my actual self when I'm on the radio, mm-hmm. but that's about it. Yeah. And I try to be informal in all the language that I use because I want as many people as can to understand it. It doesn't mean we don't talk about hard concepts or complicated scientific concepts, but I try to bring it down to kindergarten level, which is where my brain is most of the time anyway.
0: Yeah. I don't think I'm amplified as me when I'm on air. I think I'm really just sort of like, I'm like this. And people who have gotten me off air to especially talk about like music or perhaps like June Jordan. These poems, they are things that I do in the dark, reaching for you. Have realized that I generally speak like this. You're amplified all the time. That's a
1: horrifying
0: way to look at that. No, it's
1: the good way. It's Is like, it? yeah, you're an infectious outbursts of laughter happen no matter what the time of day or circumstances. You're all by yourself in another room far away. I mean, the world is funny. You should laugh.
0: (laughs) The world is also cruel. You should laugh at that, too.
1: (laughs) What about you, Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster here in Springfield? What was, see, and that would be something that I would never say in a normal conversation, but I've done it to bring everybody back in to see if you just tuned in, who are we talking to? Why are we doing this? Has your relationship to language changed because of your job as a lexicographer?
4: Well, no. I mean, it's because you made me start talking on the radio. I'm it's
1: not- us, We're the problem! <laughs> <laughs> it's me. Hi.
4: It's me. I am the problem. It's me. I'm not aware of speaking differently on the radio than I do in real life. People will sometimes recognize my voice when I'm out and about, so it must be similar enough to how I sound when I'm at whatever place I am that is not with a microphone in my face.
1: Like right now.
4: Like right now. Oh, it was when I went to college that I found out that I enunciate in a way that people notice. But I'm also interested in how your jobs have affected the way you use particular words and the way you use particular like grammatical constructions. I was raised to pay a lot of attention to rules that I now see are pretty arbitrary. You know, I was raised to not end a sentence in a preposition, for example, even though it was a you know, like many of these rules about splitting infinitives and ending sentences and prepositions. These are all came out of 18th century white men who had these ideas of what they thought good language was. And they were trying, in some cases, they were like, I just think this sounds good. And other times they were saying, this is how everybody should do it. I like the people in the former camp better, of course. But those rules then, or those ideas, then became these formal rules. And I think that in recent decades, I feel like since I've been paying attention to these things professionally, they've become so much less strict than they used to be. I feel like culturally, it is now okay for people who speak professionally to not follow all these rules. And they don't get the letters to the editor as much as as they used to. But I'm wondering how your relationship to those rules or to the things you learned in school when you were growing up about proper ways to speak, proper ways to put your sentences together, how do those affect you, or do they not?
0: I think they still do, at least when I'm writing. But speaking-wise, I verb things a lot, like a lot, a lot. You just did one right then. Yeah, in fact, I did, but it's fun to do it. And that's, I think, a really easy way, especially when you're in a speaking medium, to get your point across. Also, I am horrible about using the word like. Like is my placeholder, and I don't enjoy that. But we
1: all have them. We all have them. And I edit so many people's voices and language that I know yours, Emily Brewster. I know yours. I know mine. I know Salman Hamid's. I just hear it. And everybody has them. And I find them fascinating, and I don't think that— you know, people look down on them sometimes, yeah. or, are they, or are you mostly your critical of your own, yeah. you know, crutches that you use for language? But in reality, most people don't notice them at all.
0: Yeah, and I would credit like WKCO, the station at my my college, for before I got to the river, getting um out of my vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Basically, no ums on the radio, and they were really hardcore about it. So I don't do that. Instead, it became like, and I'm not sure if that was an upgrade or not. Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> yeah.
1: I grew up listening to and watching Howard Stern and David Letterman, who were famous, both of them, for deformalizing language. Amongst other things, <laughs> you know, where they no longer had to have the Stantorian radio delivery or, the ju- or that... That
0: makes me feel so uncomfortable when I, you do. I <laughs> think it makes other
1: people feel uncomfortable too. And that's why I always related to them as hosts. I never had any aspiration to be a host until I kind of stumbled into it. But when I did, I knew I wanted to sound more like that and more conversational mm-hmm. than try to sound like a big voice radio announcer or, or even like a little voice radio announcer who hosts a (laughs) weekly show on public radio that talks about the mostly white American experience. (laughs) And if that's how he talks, that's great. I just like to be me. And I can only be me.
4: Yeah, right, and I think it's really interesting that it is increasingly acceptable for people to be themselves. I think also the uh, informality is aided by social media. One of the biggest language transformations that I like to think about is how there used to be a gatekeeper for any kind of discourse that could be widely consumed. You either had to have a publisher behind you if it were written, or maybe you had a pulpit, you were giving a sermon. Maybe you were on the radio and then there was like somebody who, you know, unless it was ham radio, right? These are people who always had some kind of formal arrangement that granted them access to mass media. And now anybody can write anything, and we see so much more informal language on Twitter on social media, right? Like we see written language in this informal state to a degree that we never, never did before. Language has become remarkably less formal than it was 20 years ago even.
1: And how long have you been a lexicographer? Have you been there through that whole transformation?
4: I've been here at Merriam-Webster for 22 years now.
1: Mm -hmm. What can you do now that you feel like you couldn't have done then?
4: We have made changes to our style to make the definitions more approachable. You know, I write a lot of the content at merriam-webster.com, as do many other editors, and we can write really playfully, and I think, yeah, use, okay, here, I just realized that when I started working at Merriam-Webster, I would not use a contraction in a word of the day article. And now I throw them in there all the time. And that feels more natural. It
1: does. It feels like George Lucas script writing if you don't use contractions. And nobody
4: needs that. I will not defer. I've come before you to resolve this attack on our sovereignty now. It's just very interesting to me how our language is, is increasingly informal. And yet I also wanted to ask the two of you about you know how you feel about different grammar rules. Are you Are you careful about lay and lie on the radio, for example? Do you worry about splitting infinitives?
0: I don't worry as much about splitting infinitives. I always get a little like weird about ending things with prepositions. I do it, but I look at it and I'm like, that's not supposed to be there. And then sometimes I'll fix it and sometimes I'll leave it the way that it is. But you're
1: talking about writing. When you're writing about the podcast, when yes. you're talking on the radio, do you keep those things in mind? No, because it's collo-
0: like it, there's a colloquialism with talking where it's not necessarily needed, but when I see it, I'm like, poetry might our brain goes oh no yeah
4: yeah well and i think that's really interesting too right the difference between what is acceptable language for which context right. those change
1: i like to do whatever i want to i've noticed i think the one thing that i do do now differently because of having so many conversations with you emily brewster from marion webster is that i think i would have had a tendency to be judgmental about people using words quote unquote incorrectly if i didn't realize how oftentimes the j- person who is being judgmental is wrong about <laughs> <laughs> about something you know it's yeah. so easy to get on a <laughs> dumb high horse and just hate on somebody for some little minutiae now it drives me nuts but i think if it were not for having so many conversations about language and learning about language that i would have been more prone to doing that more frequently. And now when we're having all these conversations about pronouns, that not only translates into language judgment, but in like human judgment of actual people's selves. And I think, you know, words have meaning and words can hurt and words can heal too. So it's really easy to say, I'm going to be judgmental about the use of these pronouns, but go and do the research, you're probably wrong. Both perhaps in your language usage and as a human being. <laughs> but being called a racist is still not the N-word for white people. Exactly not.
4: <laughs> but e- you know, even when the rule is technically correct in some way, you don't have less value because you don't follow the rules that are used in standard English. That mm-hmm. doesn't actually make one person better than another person. I also feel like the rules of language and the, the formality of language but even just careful language can be a barrier between kind of connection between people.
1: Kalisa's already said how she loves to verb words and use Ima, which some people might think is incorrect in language. Do you have favorite things that other people like to judge that you, as a teacher, lexicographer at Merriam-Webster love to do, Emily Brewster?
4: I love playfulness in language, right? And the verbing of things is called functional shift, right? When we change what word, the function that words have, I think it's great. And it's something that I think, yeah, before I was a lexicographer, I probably hated the verb gift. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's gross. Now I think it's great. It's actually very efficient. It actually is a way more efficient way to say, give something as a gift. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to like give you this book, I might want it back. If I gift you this book, you know exactly that that book now belongs to you and I've given it to you as a gift. There's so much efficiency to be had by functional shift. And it's also, you know, a really old process, like uh, the word sweet It was an adjective for something like 300 years, 500 years maybe, before it became a noun. And then you could have a suite. I like that example. There's the need to be accurate. I really appreciate a beautifully written sentence. It's not that I don't think there's value in careful writing, but I think that um, you can still have that and be playful with language and not be judgmental about it
1: just gives you more flexibility when you have more words. Right. It's also good to know when people are being judgmental, the real stories behind those words, so that you can secretly judge them about being judgmental. I don't think that's the (laughs) point. Maybe it's not. Up next, Christian Reeder from Comics and More in East Hampton on the 21st anniversary of Free Comic Book Day.
0: You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NAPM.
1: Wednesdays are classically the day of the nerd and few things are more classically nerdy than comic books Saturday sees the return of free comic book day in its 21st year. We talked with Christian WZ reader owner of comics and more in East Hampton about all they're doing for the event.
5: So I'm
1: here with
0: Breeder. They are the owner of Comics and More in East Hampton, and we are talking about an event happening on Saturday, which is Free Comic Book Day. So, how did you get into comics initially, and how did you end up owning a comic shop? It seems like living the dream, but I know sometimes dreams are not all they seem.
5: Uh, yeah, I mean, I never dreamed of being a small business owner, but I... I've been reading comic books since I started reading books, like, all along. Like, one hand shaking the other hand. And I I don't really think of, like, a time I was reading that, like, comics weren't involved in some way. Even though now there's, like, so many different kinds of comics for so many different kinds of folks. But my older brother was into comics. I would steal his I remember going to the comic book store on supervised visits with my father. <laughs> it was a place I felt safe. But yeah, I've just always had a real passion for words and pictures put together this way.
0: I, me too, clearly. Good nerds raising more nerds is the way of my family. <laughs> Why participate in Free Comic Book Day?
5: Ooh, that's a good question. Well, at its heart, it's a promotional um, event where, like, the the people who designed the event were doing it to, like, create a buzz, similar sort of to, like, Record Store Day, except our stuff is free, not more expensive and scarce. It kind of, like, Independent Bookstore Day, which was this past Friday. There are things for other aspects of the business, and the people who started it saw it as a good way to, like, thank regulars. When it's done right, the comics that we're handing out are, like, previews of comics that'll be coming out over the next year that idea is great it doesn't always work that way for us i mean free comic book day costs money us. We love giving them away for free and seeing all of our customers. We use it to drive a non-perishable non-expired food drive for the ECC each year. But also really it kind of goes to in comics there's this expression, comics are for everyone. That really resonates with me. But I I think I have a somewhat idiosyncratic interpretation of it where if comics are for everyone how do you look at that from an equity framing? To me that looks like creating non-retail related experiences to access comic books, which then means we work with 13 different libraries. And we also work now with a book through Bars prison book project to get comic books where there aren't comic books.
0: Which is such a fascinating and wonderful way to go about this whole thing, which initially was just promotional. Do you think that free comic book day is good for smaller publishers kind of in similar vein? somewhat because it's not all marvel and dc no. doing this
5: no and it's those are some of the more fun things like you get an idea of like there's a turtles one there, like a teenage mutant ninja turtles one there's a nightmare before christmas one you know so there's like a lot of different content and publishers it sometimes can backfire silver sprocket had trouble last year doing it. They did get in trouble for giving like adult material and it was ridiculous. So
0: there's content things, but there I feel like there
5: have been adult issues. Like there there
0: are, this year too, mature rated. Which you just have to be careful. (laughs) Yeah, there's a
5: color coding. Like there's one for kids, one for general audiences and one for mature. And honestly, we don't order as many of the mature ones. We order enough to give out what we think we can give out. But like we, we love it as a community, um, all ages, family event. We we have plenty of mature customers, mature content, mature comics. Sometimes that's awesome and fun too. But when we're doing a big event with like the gourmet popsicle people going to be there, we we try not to like wheel out the smut. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's just, it's an unspoken agreement that I think we all are better for. <laughs>
0: right, right. I guess I'm looking to see if you, you think that there's a usefulness for Free Comic Book Day oh, in it. this post-Disney Marvel era. I'm especially curious about this, getting the comics into into jails and prisons. Like,
5: that's fascinating and so cool. How did you make that work? Oh, um, it started with the libraries. Right here in East Hampton, our East Hampton Public Library reached out or I reached out to them very early on I can't remember which, but they were our some of our earliest institutional support. We're trying to figure out ways the comic book store and the library could work out. And the first collaboration like that was uh, Free Comic Book Day, and they had a really small pop up uh, Free Comic Book Day event at the library in addition to ours. Honestly, I think it's great. We don't charge them, and also like they're doing work, they're creating an event in their space, and they keep coming back. We we supply the. The whole Springfield Library system, like which is like 12 libraries. We work with the Montague Library District, which is like two or three libraries. And uh, with the Holyoke um, Public Library, usually. It was... <sighs> It's hard to explain, like, why do we do this instead of, like, just making money or just driving people to us. And there are other comic book stores you can go to, like, right now in Western Mass, that are all celebrating Free Comic Book Day. Northampton and Springfield and Greenfield. I, I see it as a way to reconnect with our casual customers, too. But, like, when we started working with the libraries, like, we did try to reach out and be like, how about we sell you your books now? And that, like, (laughs) the first year trying to do that, we weren't ready for that yet. We do have that arrangement with some libraries now. I mean, it kind of went to the heart of being a promotional event. The libraries got to create for programming, and our name and address were on that event. All the comic books come with stickers that say our address, our website, and our, like, brand name but that's all we ask like there's no like you know cardboard cutouts of me or phoebe at each library saying like free comics like right right you know it just it takes up so much space and (laughs) but that kind of slowly grew into like two or three libraries when we partnered with springfield i think Four years ago was when I started really feeling like confident and excited about it because that's like a whole library district. I grew up in Western Mass on the other side of Springfield called Hamden. It's, it was a small town. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's still there. Uh, <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of implications in that <laughs> laughter. I just really, it allows us to do more than just selling stuff. That is a concern of ours because I'm of kind of the opinion I can't just sell enough comic books every day to make us sustainable forever. That's just not how retail and the direct market and bookstores and rent and like like available like commercial spaces works really. Getting the word out and like putting comic books where they weren't is also part of that, of us trying to build a network and community based on the things we care about and the area we're in. And then I saw another bookstore, massive bookshop actually up in Greenfield Um, he's great, Andrew. He's very nice. Um, and he's going to be at our free comic book day event, actually tabling and like bringing his books. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We're also having decarcerate Western mass, which is a bail fund and they'll be tabling. We also will have the Western mass tenants union who will be distributing literature and talking about tenant rights in Massachusetts. We will be having vegan pizza land and crooked stick pops, which are delicious treats. They are delicious
0: treats. It's finally warm enough to eat them. (laughs) Yeah, right?
5: (laughs) We get to do it outside now, which didn't actually occur to us until like last year. And the first two years of the pandemic would have been useful to think about that. But doing it in the parking lot has made it into a like really fun, like we've been telling customers not to forget and they didn't, they haven't forgot, they are looking forward to coming. And that's really, to me, that's really like affirming or like validating. There's a lot of work that goes in. running this those days where you get to see your more casual community and people come with their families and their families are being really good sports you know like not every collector has a family that wants to go and dig through like long bins in like a basement somewhere like on a beautiful on the first saturday in may we've also started we plan on we're going to have one of our informational pamphlets that we're going to give to everybody who comes through on free comic book day and this year we're adding um a list of what you could do in East Hampton because we know we're a destination store. So maybe you should check out the places we like. But like we've really been taken well care of by our community and East Hampton specifically, like hyper locally, but also more than that, like in the Western Mass region people do travel to come see us like and we're just real grateful to still be here.
0: Kind of along the the, the power to the revolution end of things, do you is there a level on which you feel like this is almost like a Rockefeller move for Diamond, where they're such a hegemony that this is like their little bit of giving back to the community, so that no one like truly revolts.
5: No, not really. I mean, they had sponsorship for Coca-Cola last year. There are people who try to be more professional about it than others, but um, they don't have a great rep. For reasons. I would say the publishers are doing it more like that than Diamond, because like the publishers could just opt not to do it, but they continue to, and... I don't know, I hope they get something out of it. In past years, they would reprint stuff that had already come out, or because of delays, the comics that they were advertising didn't come out for like another six months. And, you know, that just makes me look like I don't know what I'm doing. And I mean, we get some very strange questions about Free Comic Book Day, one of which, of course, being like, is this all you? And I'm like, what do you mean? That licensed Spider-Man comic? And they're like, (laughs) yeah, how did you do all this? And I was like, oh, practice, I don't know. No, I don't own Superman dude no I didn't work out a thing with the lawyers either nah uh, <laughs> but the other most common question is little kids saying like does that mean all the comics are free and I like to respond yes and now you're comics monger and I'm free and uh, <laughs> like you know like I'm at like crossroads my eyes flash Wait. twice and now they have to figure out a way to pay the bills Nah, na <laughs> I'll just go back to enjoying comics that's how it works Oh my gosh,
0: that's hilarious. So is anything coming out on Saturday that you're excited about?
5: Yeah. There is a preview of the new Conan the Barbarian comic. It's a lot like the other Conan the Barbarian comics, but it's fun. And the publisher, Titan, a British publisher who I think is related, to that Branson guy, I'm pretty sure. Uh, You know, like the billionaire. Yes. Yeah, but they recently acquired the rights for Conan the Barbarian after Marvel acquired the rights like three years ago and then lost them. And Titan hired the creative team that Marvel had put on it to write and draw their Conan book. And I'm just like, oh, 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 oh the mouse is gonna hate that. Oh. <laughs> 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 Dogman, <laughs> Dogman's got a preview of comics and we don't put a lot of bumper stickers on our car, but I've got a Dogman sticker on my car and I do not have kids. Uh, the <laughs> author Dave Pucky has like 3 books come out a year that kids will just devour. Every one of them is a is a banger. I no one's ever been like this Dogman's really not as good as the previous Dogman. And there's like a dozen of
0: them. that is high praise. Yeah. But it's high praise for sure. What time What time should people come to your store on, on Saturday to participate?
5: We open the doors at 11. We'll be there beforehand getting everything set up. So like 11. Thanks. No problem. Thank you for joining me.
1: I want that Dog Man comic for my son, Pax. I mean, I'm sure you do. You should go get it. Today it's free. was our 50th <laughs> show, but tomorrow is May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. And also with you. That means Friday is Cinco de Mayo. On Cuatro de
0: Mayo, however, which is, again, tomorrow, we'll talk with the Latina-owned Hot Plate Brewing Company in Pittsfield and Latinas 413 about their event, Orale Chicanas, their take on a more culturally
1: appropriate Cinco de Mayo celebration. And I'm going to miss that conversation. I'm so jealous! McGoverning with Congressman Jim McGovern on Big Pharma tomorrow, libraries, and atomic veterans. Got a question for the congressman? You can email it, thefab413 at nepm.org. Our director is Tony Impromptu childcare Done. Our engineer is Betsy. Just Google it, Cordis.
0: Our technical team is Bart. Rolled a 20 on his stealth check today, Rankin. Kara, I'm not here, Foster.
1: And a tapestry that is punk rock rude boy, Dubey. Musical thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Kenzie, Call Me B, The Beatles, Art Brute, Taylor Swift... And John Williams. I'm Kelly Smith, and I'm Monty Belmonte. See you tomorrow on the fabulous 413.